Good morning. Good to see you. Some of you have probably been here a while, maybe, perhaps, an hour earlier than you should have been. But uh, I know how that goes. One year, when uh, uh, many years before we got married, I was uh, living uh, down in Levy. My house was down in Levy, and so uh, I had uh, volunteered to unlock the building. You know, I was in the rotation of locking and unlocking, and so um, one time change, it happened to be the, uh, the fall back, the good one, and so uh, I, I was scheduled for that Sunday morning, and so I pulled up to the church building in the parking lot, and I looked around, and I thought, something doesn't feel right. And so uh, I finally realized that I was not here at 8 o'clock to uh, unlock the building. I was, wait, which way was that? Anyway, I messed up the time change one year, and I was here an hour earlier than I had to be, and so um, that was uh, I missed out on my... Good sleep, extra sleep, but I say all that to say I'm glad to see you this morning. So uh, for, for what's that worth, I'm glad you made it here. When I was growing up, I used to go to yard sales with my nanny. It was one of my most favorite times of the week, especially during the summertime because I would spend the night with her on Thursday nights and uh, we would go to yard sales. And so I would watch her Thursday night as she would take the North Little Rock Times, the paper, and she would go through and she would circle the ones we were going to and she would carefully plan this out and map it out so that as we made our route, we would end up at Hardy's on Main Street so we could have a cinnamon raisin biscuit. And so that was our thing. And and I enjoyed that so much. I loved it. But sometimes it was hit or miss. Sometimes I would be able to, I'd find something she'd buy for me. And sometimes she would find uh, all kinds of stuff. But other times she wouldn't. And so it was really kind of hit or miss when we were there. Uh, And when we get back in the car with nothing, she would always say, well, I hope they enjoy putting that stuff back in the house. You know, you know, you know that, which meant either the, the prices were too high or all they had was junk. And so, you know, that was a funny thing. But what really determines value? What is it that determines the value of something? Uh, you know, is it the owner of the item? So let's say this, this coat, this is a $500 coat that I'm wearing. Who makes that choice? You know, it's, it's, I'm going to tell you, it's not $500 because I paid $500 for it because... I didn't. But who, who makes the value of that? But what if you want to buy it? What if you want to buy this coat and you want to give me $500 for it, but I only paid 75 Well, you've placed a higher value on this coat than I actually did. So does the purchaser determine the value of something? You can buy an official Major League Baseball, a real authentic one, which looks something like this. It says Major League on it. You can buy that for anywhere from what? Three to twenty-five dollars, maybe you know, depending on the, the store or the website or the quantity. So if you shop around, you can find you know Major League Baseball for for kind of that price, depending on who owns that item. But ten years ago, when Barry Bonds hit a Major League Baseball over the home run field in, in San Francisco, and he passed Hank Aaron as the home run leader, that. $3 baseball became worth $752,000 right then and there because he hit it, not because of a baseball, but because of what it meant to somebody was willing to give for it. See, value can be placed on what you're willing to give for an item. That makes the value go up too. That's why auctions are so fun to watch. People go crazy with those because something that's, that's basically you would never pay that for Someone else places a great value on it, and so the price keeps going up until somebody finally gets it. A lot of times, maybe overpriced. So take a canvas. Take a blank canvas, a painting canvas. You can buy these for, I don't know, 10 to, 
$10 and up probably at the, at the hobby store. You could take that blank canvas, and that's what it's worth, you know, 10 15 bucks. But you take some paint, and you splatter a bunch of paint on there. Or how about this? You let Leonardo da Vinci splatter some paint on there. And so this canvas now is worth $7.5 million because it's the Mona Lisa. Now, what changed with this? Our government takes a piece of paper, they color it, they stick a number on it, and immediately it's worth something. They've assigned value to that particular piece of paper. They declare that value. Each of us determined to be here today. We made a determination that we were going to be here today because we're here by weighing the worth against a lot of other things, other things we could be doing, other things that maybe are with our time. We weighed the worth of the inconvenience that it may be to, to get up and get out. We weighed the worth against some, maybe some discomfort. And so we determined the level of inconvenience it takes to help someone else based on whether we think they're worth it. Is it worth it to help them? Is it worth it of my time, of my effort? And so we can place value on that. Everything about our lives seems to have this scale of value, this scale of worth that's attached to it. The question is, what scale are you using to determine that value? So in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, we have Jesus on a, on a mountainside there, and He's preaching, He's speaking, He's teaching about this kingdom of God. And so when He is ad- addressing people, especially who are brokenhearted, people who are disenfranchised, people who are out on the fringes, is who He's talking to in this, in this sermon. The ones who wondered, do we still have any worth? And so He says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear? Isn't it more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Are you not? Aren't you? So the answer to this rhetorical question that Jesus asks is not so obvious. It's really not, especially when you've been using a faulty system of valuation. And so how interesting it is that Jesus poses this question in the middle of this passage, this discord, of course, about anxiety. Because what causes a lot of anxiety? You know what I worry about? Did I do enough? I worry about that. Do you worry about that? Did I do enough? Whatever it is, did I do enough in this situation for this person? Did I make the right decision? You ever worry about that? Because then when things don't go the way I intended for them to go, the way I hoped that they would go, when things don't go the way I thought they would, when, when, when negative consequences happen because of my decisions, well, then I must not be smart enough. I must not be good enough or talented enough. Well, then I must not be wise enough. I must not be strong enough. See, there must be something missing from my ability. When I use that system of valuation, because which at the heart of it can translate to, well, then I'm worth less. I'm worth less. I'm worth less than someone who has succeeded in what I have tried to succeed at. I'm worth less than someone who has not had the consequences of these sorts of decisions. That I'm worth less. My valuation for my worth is based on consequences of my life but aren't you more valuable than they? Aren't you more valuable than this? 
aren't you more valuable than that that happened? And Jesus says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Second Samuel, in the Old Testament, we read about David, King David, who has secured his throne finally as, as king of Israel and through military victories. He's fought battles both outside of his kingdom and inside of his kingdom. He's had these struggles and his constant war within and without. And so while battling King Saul, Saul, you remember, his predecessor whom had disobeyed God and God had removed his favor from Saul and had laid his favor on David. And so now David was the successor to the, the, the throne of Israel. And so Saul was engaged in this battle against the Philistines, this opposing army, and also engaged in this battle against David trying to kill David and out to get David because he was jealous of David. And he was jealous of the fact that the people, not just God, but the people preferred David over Saul. And so even in the middle of this, David had formed this close relationship with Saul's son Jonathan, this friendship, this, this kinship, this, this closer than a brother, this love that they had for each other, best of friends. And they pledged their lives to each other and they also pledged their families' lives to one another. And so eventually Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle. And so David took the throne of Israel, fulfilled his anointing by God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, as we come to this time in, in David's life, David looks back, he thinks back, and he remembers this promise that he had made to Jonathan. And he looks around and he asks, he says, hey, is there anybody still alive in the house of Jonathan? Any of Jonathan's family that I can bless? Is there anybody around that I might show value to? Second Samuel chapter 9 and verse 3. He asks, Is there not someone left from Saul's family that I may extend God's kindness to him? And Ziba said to the king, One of Jonathan's sons is left. Both of his feet are crippled. And the king asks, Where is he? Now, I, you can't really read into what Ziba says here, but... You think about this in, in two ways. David's looking, who can I help out? Who can I bless? And Ziba says, well, hey, Jonathan does have a son, and perhaps he needs blessing because both of his feet are crippled. Or perhaps Ziba said, well, there's, only, there's one guy left, but, you know, he's, he's crippled. So you can see that two different ways. And so we see here, where is he? Society had conspired to convince Mephibosheth, that's his name, Mephibosheth, say that five times, I dare you, Mephibosheth, convince him that he's no value. He's got no value. Because look at him, his life was worthless. And so the only living heir to defend the family line of King Saul, he couldn't even protect himself. He couldn't even protect himself. He was worth less, worth less than someone who could protect himself. So how do you measure the worth of something? How do you measure it? How do you measure the worth of a person? Mephibosheth had been crippled when his family fled the palace. As Saul's family was, was heading out, running out, fleeing after the death of, of Saul and of Jonathan. And so they believed that David was now going to come as king and he was going to come and kill all of them to eliminate this threat to his throne because that's what happened. When somebody took over a kingdom... They typically would kill everybody connected to the king so there wouldn't be any revenge coming in a few years. And so they would wipe everybody out. So as the, the, the nurse, the family's nurse, scooped up, who was then five-year-old Mephibosheth, she tripped, he fell, was dropped, and that injury he sustained caused him to be crippled. 
crippled. And so he was lame for the rest of his life. So Mephibosheth grew up thinking he was worthless. Who am I and what can I do? Not only was he lame, he was unable to fight. He couldn't be a warrior. What good is he to the king? He was, not only was he unable to fight, but he couldn't work the land for himself. I can't take care of myself. I can't provide for myself and my family. And now he believes he's going to be killed by David because that's what kings do. They wipe out everybody they've taken over so that there's no threat in the future. And so now he, he finds himself stuck. What have I got? And so he finds protection in a region way across the Jordan, far away from Jerusalem. Surely the king won't find me here. Well, he did. Because <laughs> that's what kings do. David found him, and now he calls for him. And so can't you imagine what's going through Mephibosheth's mind now as, as the king calls for him? This is it. This has got to be it. Because that's what happens here. I, and so it was customary. So this has got to be it. But here's David. Here's David in verse 7 and 8 of 2 Samuel 9. David said to him, Don't be afraid. Fear not. Because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan your father. You will be a regular guest at my table. And then Mephibosheth bowed and said, Of what importance am I, your servant, that you show regard for a dead dog like me? So for years here, Mephibosheth had thought of himself as a dog. A dead dog, worthy only to eat food out of a dog's bowl. He had no value. He had no life. He was worthless. Why would Mephibosheth think this way? I don't know. Why does anybody think this way? I think it's because what you've done or what you might do becomes who you are or who you will be. See, what's happened in the past or what you might do in the future becomes who you are in the eyes of other people. See, it's our failing system of Assigning value, this faulty system. And we buy into it in how we look at other people and we buy into it in how we see our own selves. And so, are you more valuable? Aren't you more valuable? And so now David has pursued Mephibosheth and he restores the property of Saul and gives it to Mephibosheth. Gives him this to be his source of income. And he says, not only am I going to provide this for you for the rest of your life, but you're going to come in and I'm going to elevate you to the greatest honor and you're going to sit at the king's table. And I'm going to provide for you the rest of your life. David says, from now on, you will sit with me. You will live in my house. You will eat with me. You will be as my son. And that's how I'm going to treat you because you are worthy and you are valuable. And almost... A thousand or so years later, Jesus stands on this mountainside and He speaks. Jesus, this heir of David, who is in fact the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and He pursues those who would be His very enemy. He goes after them, not to kill them, but to invite them to His table. Children of His enemy those who are outside of the kingdom of His Father. And He tells them, you are worthy. You are valuable to Me. And I want you to live with Me for eternity. Because see, they were, these people were in fact Mephibosheth. And you know what? We are Mephibosheth. That's who we are. Because we've been crippled 
by our life, our circumstances of this world, circumstances that have been created by our own choices and circumstances that we have found ourselves in that have been created by other people. We are Mephibosheth, unable to care for ourselves, unable to provide the, even the, the sustenance for our weary, crippled soul. And yet Jesus pursues us and He invites us to live with Him. So He invites us to know our true worth. And so in one moment, Mephibosheth has gone from eating dog food to eating at the king's table, to eating the food that the king prepares for him, even in the presence of his enemies. What made the difference? What made the difference here? Mephibosheth hadn't changed. He hadn't changed. He was still the same person. He was still crippled. He still couldn't take up a trade. He still couldn't wield a sword. He still couldn't lead a team of oxen in the field. What had changed here? In the eyes of the world, he's still worthless. But in the eyes of the king, he was worth more. He was worth more. And as we've said, something is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. For this is the way that God loved the world. That He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send His Son into the world to point out why we're going to hell. That's obvious when He shows us the other choice. Eternal life. He sent Him into the world so that through Him we may have eternal life. Every day the world tells us we have no value. It tells us that we're the product of random chance, random choices in our lives, that our worth is based only on our salary, that our worth is based only on our skills, that our worth is based only on our talents or our importance. Our worth is based only on what we can do for someone else. That's what makes us worthy. So then, in fact, if our salary is not high enough or if we're not positioned enough in society or if we're not skilled enough, if we're not talented enough in some way, then society tells us that we're worthless. We're worthless. That we are Mephibosheth. That we're fit only to eat dog food. And you know what happens? We eat. We eat. We find ourselves down there eating it. And oh, that we might take comfort from time to time in comparing ourselves with others, looking around. Because we can always find someone who's in a worse shape than we think we're in. We can always find someone, and no matter how much we make, no matter what kind of job we have, or if we have a job, or if we have a home, well, I've got to be better than that person because look, look, look at them. We can find ourselves thinking that way. I've got to have more value than them, right? No matter how bad I, things may be. I'm more righteous than that person, right? Because look how they think. Look how they live. I've got to be better, right? Surely. I must have more value to God. See, people who base their personal value on changing criteria, on fading criteria, are ultimately going to be disappointed. Because that's how the world works. The world continues to change and reinforce what value is and continues to reinforce that we're not truly valuable. Certainly not like you think we are. In fact, you're ultimately worthless. But in the eyes of the King, in the eyes of the King, we're more. We're more. Because a thing is only worth what someone's willing to pay for. 
like Barry Bonds baseball, worth $752,000. That's what it's worth. If you want to buy it. Only if you want to buy it. See, my jacket is worth, well, I'll let you have it for $40. It's a bargain, right? If you want to buy it. What are you worth? What are you worth? What do you think I'm worth? What do I think you're worth? What are they worth? Whoever they are. What are they worth? How about that Christian who doesn't act the way you think they should? Or that Christian who doesn't think the way you think or the way you think they should? What are they worth? What are they worth? There's a great, great prize. A great, great prize, as Mike led our thoughts this morning. It was paid for us, for you, and for them. What is that worth? What is that worth? For God loved the world this much. That's what it's worth. And nothing you say, nothing you do, nothing I say, nothing I do, nothing they say, nothing I do, can change that value. It doesn't increase the value and it doesn't decrease the value. God has set the value. And that's not going to change. And I think about the Apostle Peter. Must have felt like he was worthless. After when he came to his senses and realized that he had denied Christ three times at his time of the greatest need, Peter had retreated. But then Peter repented. And Jesus forgave him. And Peter had a choice. I'm worthless because of that choice I made. But Jesus forgave you. I'm worthless because I I denied Him. But Jesus forgave you. Peter went on to write in his letter, 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect. The precious blood of Christ impacts, impact, because you are valuable and we are valuable. And they are valuable. Not because of what you think. Not because of what I think. But because of what Christ has done. That's why you are worth it to God. And you are worth it to Christ. And no matter what choices you have made in your life, and no matter what choices you have made in the past, no matter what choices you may make tomorrow, no matter what struggles that you are wrestling with today, And no matter what worries you have about the future, you are valuable to God. You are. And guess what? That makes you valuable to me if I am in Christ. See, we're all Mephibosheth. And yet, God has pursued us. He has chased after us, invited us to eat at His table, invited us into His kingdom, for Him to provide for us, to live under His protection, invited us to participate in His kingdom. When? Forever. 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 
You are worth it to God. My question is, what's He worth to you? What is He worth to you? Because God is worth to you as much as this little one. The one least of these is worth to you. See, that's the impact that the body of Christ, the church has on this world around us is that we have a different valuation system. That's the impact we can have in others' lives to say, you're worth it. So I'm going to inject myself into your life and I'm going to do this for you and I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to love you and care for you. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done for me and for you. That's impact. That's how we impact. That's when we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you know what? I don't, I don't see this the same way you do. We, we don't... We don't see this the same way. But I'm going to treat you and I'm going to talk about you and I'm going to love you the way my Jesus has loved me. And we can be in disagreement, but we're going to love each other and we're going to hold each other closely because the blood of Christ has cleansed you just like it's cleansed me. That's impact. That's impact. And if the world out there doesn't see it, then why in the world would they place any value on Jesus Christ, if they don't see the body of Christ placing value on it, what's He worth to you? Because the real question is, what am I worth to you? What are you worth to me? For God so loved the world that He gave, He gave His only Son. And whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Go and do likewise. Love someone with the love of Jesus Christ. And this morning, perhaps you're wrestling with this because sin will do that. Sin, sin will cause memories from your past. Satan gets in there and he lets you think about stuff from your past that, can, that you convince yourself that I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're not talking about worthiness. We're talking about worth. God places a worth on a soul. Your soul, my soul, their soul. It's worth so much that He gave His Son. He didn't give His Son one time because when we repent, when we are faithful, the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. That's what Jesus has done for us. And this morning, Satan is maybe whispering in your ear that you're not worthy. God says, yes, you are. But you've got to repent. You've got to run away from those thoughts. You've got to run away from those actions. You've got to run away from those choices. And run back to Christ. Because He's waiting for you. And ask His forgiveness. And He will give it freely. Maybe you're not a child of God. Maybe you think, I'm not worthy of the blood of Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but He died for you anyway. While we were yet sinners enemies of God. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us. See, we don't come to God because we're good. We come to God because He is good. And He cleanses us. And He places us in Christ, His good and perfect Son. And in doing so, He invites us to His table. This morning, will you make Christ 
your Lord and Savior. We'll be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of God's Spirit to remind you and to guide you into eternal life. Will you do that this morning? We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. What's He worth to you? It starts with what are you worth to yourself because that's the first step in making this decision this morning. Will you do this for you, for eternal life, for those this morning who love and care about you? Will you come to God through Christ as we stand and sing this song? Would you be free from the burden?